1 John chapter 3. Let's look at verse 4 together. When you have it, say amen. Let's read this, and then we're going to go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 4 through 12. It reads like this, And whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin, and whoever sins has neither seen him nor knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For in this, the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's works were righteous. Now, go with me to 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, and let's look at this together. 1 John 5, 18, one single verse I want to look at, says this, For we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We speak to our hearts tonight. Give us clarity on this complex passage. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight, I don't know if any of you have ever wrestled with these particular passages in your Bible study, but I think they're great passages. I love 1 John because of 1 John's intention in writing that carries not only 1 John, but 2 and 3 John. But tonight, I want to talk to you uh, from this very, very plain subject of uh, Christians can't sin. Because if you read John's passage, he said, whoever is born of God does not sin. Is that not, not what it said. That's what it said. So we're going to look at that. Um, over the last several weeks, we have looked at some pretty, on the surface, difficult passages. Last week, we looked at women be silent in the church. I had to turn the comments off on the video section because there are a lot of people who hate women who proclaim the gospel. I mean, I'm telling you, it is really, really terrible. Um, and so anytime any lady in our church speaks, whether it's my wife or whoever, it's just terrible. We got to turn it off because people just blah, 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 spew all their hate. But anyway, so we looked at the cultural context of that last week. We've looked at some other things. And tonight, I want to look at this aspect, can a Christian sin? You know, all of us have probably heard this before, and I'm certain maybe you've even said it. And so tonight, I want to bring some clarity to a statement that all of us have, have used. Now, I am from the South, okay? I'm a transplant. Somebody was listening to one of my messages the other day, one of my friends from the North, and they said, I hear that Southern accent. So you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy, okay? So uh, I was raised in the South, and I heard this all the time. I heard people say this, and it was said out of a spirit of humility. It was said out of an attempt to not be self-righteous, but they said something like this, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, right? I've heard that a thousand times. If I had a dollar for every time I heard it, I would be a very wealthy man. People say, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. First of all, 
I believe that's a statement which is meant from a place of humility, uh, one that does not seek to be self-righteous. I get it. I really do. I've, I've even said that before. However, what do we do with our text tonight? Because the text says that Christians don't keep on sinning. So we need to look at this and see what he's trying to say. So what does the Scripture say about believers, about sin, and about our identity of those of us who are in Christ? 1 John is an interesting book. Um, Actually, I believe that when you begin to study 1 John, you can outline it in several different fashions. Um, First of all, when you look at 1 John, we can conclude that the author wrote this epistle, number one, so that his, the joy of his audience might be full. He writes that in 1 John 1 verse 4. Then he says in 1 John chapter 2 verse 1, he writes it that they would not practice sin. Uh, 1 John chapter 2 verse 26, he says he writes it that they would not be deceived. And then 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says he writes it that they might believe in the name of the Son of God and that they may continue to know that they have eternal life. So it's apparent and historically and scripturally accurate that John, the apostle, is writing this book to counteract some false doctrine that had crept into the early church. In fact, most of the letters that you see written in the New Testament, were written to counteract false doctrine, false teaching, things that had crept in, things that had begun to overwhelm. And the Scripture does warn us, doesn't it? Over and over and over again, the Scripture warns us to flee false doctrine and to warn people of false teachers. But this had been... um, coming up quickly in the church, and John recognizes it, so he begins to talk about it. One of those specific things tonight is something by the name of Gnosticism. Let me ask everybody in the room tonight, how many of you have ever heard the phrase Gnosticism or Gnostic? Raise your hand. Okay, well, many people have different ideas of what that means and whatnot, but we want to establish a couple things tonight. First of all, I want to just tell you, and don't take my word for it, go do your own study. Don't ever, 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 ever take what I say just because I'm your pastor, although I do think you should trust your pastor. If you don't trust your pastor, you probably should go to another church, amen? Uh, But don't take it just because I said it. Go and study it out for yourself. Don't ever, listen to this one statement, don't ever believe if somebody tells you that 1 John was not written to believers. There's a teaching out right now that says that John was not writing to believers. In fact, it is emphatic in John, 1 John chapter 1, who he's addressing. He's addressing brethren in the churches. John is talking to brethren and he's talking to them so that they might continue to flourish in their walk with God. John the Apostle writes a very pastoral message to these people because in John's culture, history tells us that he's dealing with Gnosticism. Now, let's answer the question, what is Gnosticism? What is a Gnostic? Gnostics in the days of uh, Jesus and in the days of John They were very spiritual people. I didn't necessarily say holy people, but spiritual people. And they were dualists. Dual meaning two. They they saw the spirit and soul of a person as one thing. And Gnostics saw a distinct difference between the flesh of a person and the spirit soul of a person. 
And the Gnostics believed this. They believed that the flesh was inherently evil. That there was nothing redemptive about the flesh whatsoever. And so the Gnostics despised the flesh and they exalted the soul and the spirit of a man. In in fact, the Gnostics said this, that the spirit of man contained the spark of God or the life of God, which is true. But when they said that as Gnostics, they weren't necessarily referring to Yahweh or Jehovah God as we understand. They were necessarily just referring to the higher power. So Gnostics, right? Gnostics, they believed that the highest form of quote-unquote salvation, what we would call a salvation experience, was not to be redeemed unto God, but to be separated from the prisons of our flesh. So out of Gnosticism, bore two extreme groups. One group was on the right, one group was on the left. The first group that broke out of Gnosticism was a group who practiced extreme self-disciplinary lifestyles when it came to the flesh. They were deeply devoted to their spiritualism, but they were, they were the type of people who fasted overboard, they denied their flesh overboard, and they were constantly trying to beat down and to subject their flesh from any pleasure, from anything like that, because they were trying to exalt the spirit over the flesh. Now, that was the one side of Gnosticism. The second side, which is the most troubling, is a side that went the opposite way. These Gnostics believed that because the flesh was inherently bad and the spirit was inherently good, that the, the flesh had no ability to do anything good. And so they believed that what they did in their flesh could never affect them spiritually. And so they disconnected the whole package of man like God intended And they said this, well, I can sin and do whatever I want to because that's my flesh and I'm the spirit. I'm the real part of me. The spirit is the real part of me. So the sin that I commit in my flesh is not affecting me. And that created a group called the libertines or the liberals. And you might say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, that mindset began to creep into the early church. That's why when you read John's writing, John in 1 John spends a lot of time. Go back. You're going to see this every time you read it now. It's going to pop out to you. John spends a lot of time emphasizing Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus came in the flesh. He came of the flesh. John even makes a statement. He that does not believe that that God has come in the flesh is of the Antichrist. He's dealing with them because the extremist in the Gnostic circle began to say that that Jesus was just a facade, that that he, he really was not... Um, Jesus in the flesh per se, that he just appeared in the flesh. And that teaching actually has trickled down into some different branches of Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe the same thing about Jesus being crucified. So, interesting enough, I hope I haven't lost you tonight because we've got to ask ourselves the question, what does all of that even matter? John is simply trying to deal with the issue that is going on with the people because the The church, not the whole church, but some of the church, had gotten into some grave, vile practices as it relates to sin. Now, I want you to see this and uh, allow me to help you tonight see this. Now, it's important. Everybody say it's important. Let me tell you how important it is because this, my friend, 
is not anything new. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and I actually know this that happened. I know the person. This is not hearsay. It's not gossip. I'm not going to use any names. When I was pastoring in the state of Louisiana, there was a well-known faith teacher who uh, had a very successful ministry and still does. He's since repented since this time. But uh, one of my older friends who's a, an executive presbyter uh, in the Assemblies of God was one of the men who was tasked of confronting and correcting this minister. Uh, it had come to find out that this minister, who was very prominent, late, late 90s, early 2000s, um, had multiple entanglements with women. Uh, he had lots of money, and with money comes influence, and sometimes it comes power, and people misuse power. Here's what was happening. Young ladies were coming to him in his church with needs. Hey, pastor, I need a light bill paid or whatever. And I want you to see how the, the vile places of wickedness a person can get to. And, you know, I need $500,000. I need $1,000. Uh, can you help me out? You see where I'm going with this. There was some help that was happening. And it come out, it was over 25 women. All of these records are held in the Assemblies of God State Office in Louisiana. I mean, it's a bad deal. And when he was finally confronted, they were at a convention. One of my friends, one of my older friends who's been a mentor in my life, he was asleep and the Holy Spirit woke him up in the middle of the night and said, go downstairs to the lobby. And this minister at a minister's convention, I shouldn't be telling all these stories, but I am, but at a minister's convention he goes downstairs to the lobby in the middle of the night and this said minister is having a drink with a woman at the bar who is not his wife when he's called on the carpet and he's confronted here's what he said he said yeah my flesh might have did all that but I'm the righteousness of God in Christ and my spirit is born again unto God and God won't hold me accountable for what I did in my flesh that is what John was dealing with and that is modern-day Gnosticism. It is a distinguishing of the spirit and the flesh to the point that we say what I do in my flesh does not matter. And that is what John is trying to say. So tonight, I'm not going to give you a Greek language lesson, but I want to get back into 1 John and to unwrap some of this with you tonight. So now that I've got your attention, let's go to 1 John 3 again and let's read this. 1 John 3 verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And lawlessness is sin. And you know that he, being Jesus, was manifested to take away our sin. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him, whoever rests in him, whoever lives in him does not sin. And whoever sins has neither seen him nor knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And whoever sins is of the devil, for the devil is sin from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever's been born of God, this is the, where I got my subject tonight, whoever's been born of God does not sin. Remember tonight I entitled this, Christians Can't Sin? Whoever is born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. Uh, in, the, uh, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Now, bump back down to 1 John 5, verse 18 with me. And notice, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. So tonight, let's bring some clarity to these scriptures. What in the world is John talking about? Because we can ask the question tonight, 
Can Christians sin? And I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because all of us have done sin today. Whether in word, thought, maybe you thought wrong, you got angry or something. See, we, we, we tend to justify sin into categories. And in God's eyes, there are some sins that have greater consequence. We won't deny that at all. But if you get down to the word sin, what is sin? The word sin, it simply means to miss the mark, right? It, it actually gives us the picture of a bullseye in an archer. To sin is an archer's term. Somebody were to take a, a arrow and shoot it towards a target. To hit anything other than the bullseye would be to sin. You have missed the mark. And guess what the Bible says? For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is not tonight what John is talking about. The mystery of this verse lies in the tenses of the Greek language. Whenever it talks about uh, whoever is born of God does not sin, it doesn't mean the act of sin. It literally means the perpetual lifestyle of living in sin. That's what it means. Anybody who claims to be born of God, who is living in unrepentant, habitual sin, the Bible says he has not been born of God. I didn't write that. That's what he says. So the first thing tonight I would tell us, number one, get this, everyone transgresses. Everybody. What does it mean? Everybody misses the mark. This verse, this passage, these passages are not talking about sinless perfection. None of us can be sinlessly perfect. Only Jesus could be sinlessly perfect, right? If you think that you can be sinlessly perfect, you have immediately entered into a state of pride and nullified your sinless perfection. There is none righteous, no, not one. Everyone transgresses. That doesn't mean on purpose. All of us miss it, even on accident, with how we treat people or whatever. But I want you to read this with me. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 through 9. Are you ready? 1 John chapter, 7, uh, verse 1, chapter 1, rather, 7 through 9. Notice this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The question is, can a believer sin? The answer is absolutely of course we can. Of course we can. But this is not what he's talking about. You know, believers definitely can sin. We all can miss the mark of God's perfect standard. That's what we're all trying to grow and be just like Christ. Trying to grow into his nature, grow into his likeness, allow the fruits of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. But, everybody say but. Here's where the big but gets in the way. All right? Number two, believers don't live in a place of sin. Believers don't live in a place of sin. There's a difference between not hitting the mark and not even aiming for the mark. Did you hear what I said? There's a difference between not hitting the mark and not even aiming for the mark, right? 
Paul even talks about himself, how he he's strives to, to be perfect and he beats himself up because, uh, you know, Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles and I'm the chiefest among all sinners. And, and Paul uses some terminology like that because he's constantly knowing that I can do better and I, I can try to strive to be better and I want to please God. But notice this, believers don't live in sin. John, just like Paul to the church at Corinth, is warning us not to live in a sinful lifestyle. Plain forward, straight talk, here's what he says. A person who is born of God does not continue on in a sinful lifestyle. That's what he says. It is impossible to do that. Why? Because when we get saved... We don't become necessarily perfect on the outside. Our spirit is regenerated. Gnostics are right in the sense of our spirit is righteous. God imputed the righteousness of Christ to us. But what we forget is that the Bible is full of scriptures that talk about crucifying our flesh. How many of you know that this old man that we put to death, the Bible says we have to crucify our flesh daily? That's what Paul said. you got to put that thing on the altar and slay it. Put a knife to its throat. Uh, Because what happens is, we've all dealt with this before as we're walking with God and we're growing with God. Uh, Listen, um, my salvation is not in and out based on actions. There are days when I feel closer to God and I feel more sanctified. And there are other days where you just want to Will Smith somebody. Come on now. I, I, I know you're tracking with me. I know you're tracking with me tonight. But guess what? We have to renew our mind. We have to crucify our flesh. Why? Because any part of our body out of kilter, our whole man, our body, soul, spirit, if you get any one of those things out of order, it affects everything. We are a tripart being. We are a spirit. We are a soul. We have a body, but we're not just a body. We're not just a soul, and we're not just a spirit. We are a whole package that God has placed on this earth, and we have to work with what he's given us. Amen. But believers don't live in sin. When God saves us, he calls us out of darkness into light, right? We're now walking in the, in the paths of holiness. Uh, you know, if you, if you cuss and you struggle with that, you ought to pray to get delivered and set free. Amen. If you smoke, and, and listen, some preacher said if God wants you to smoke, you to put a chimney on your head. Uh, I'm not going to condemn people to hell for that. I used to smoke. I don't think it's a good steward with your finances. You know it's bad, like McDonald's is bad for you, and I'm not going to get on that either. But let me just tell you something tonight. Let me just tell you, if you struggle with something, there's a difference between struggling with something and giving in to a lifestyle and saying, it's okay, God's got me, grace covers me, whatever. No, as believers, we're constantly growing in sanctification, sanctifying ourselves, putting a knife to the things that are trying to pull us down, and asking God to help us in this new life. Amen? So yes, believers can sin, but we're not supposed to live in sin. So thankful for the Holy Spirit. Because let me tell you, as a believer, I know this is true of me, and I know that it's true of you. First of all, I will say this, that if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to do that like tonight. 
You don't have to wait. It doesn't have to be a special crusade, camp meeting, service. I got baptized with the Holy Spirit in the shower of my home at age 14, 13. So you don't have to wait to a special time. But we need that relationship with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And let me tell you, we're not perfect. No, I get that. But as a believer, how many of you can testify with me this tonight? As a believer, when you drop the ball, thank God for the Holy Spirit. Because it's like immediately after, there's something that goes off on the inside of you and says, whoo, you need to get that right. You need to repent. You need to say you're sorry. You need to mend a relationship. You shouldn't have talked to your wife that way. Come on. You shouldn't have talked to your husband that way. You shouldn't have been snotty with that person. The Holy Spirit, if you listen to him, he will convict us so that we can get back on the right path. I'm thankful for that. I don't ever want to lose that. My prayer is, Holy Spirit, if I'm ever getting off the path, you send somebody to help me, you speak to me, you do whatever you got to do to get me back on the path of walking in the place that you want me to walk in. Believers are not supposed to live in sin. Now, I understand new believers, and I'm, a, I'm harping on this for a minute. I know new believers, you know, you work out your salvation, whatever. But you know, if you've been saved quote-unquote, for 20 years, and you're still living with somebody and not married? Come on now. Come on now. God gives you some grace for a little while. you got to grow at some point. If you're saved 20 years and you're still struggling with tithing and you're still struggling with forgiving people and all of those things, believers are not supposed to live. Yes, you can miss it. Yes, you can blow your temper. We're not, we shouldn't. We shouldn't expect to, but it can happen because we're still humans and we're still in the flesh, but we shouldn't just give in and live these lifestyles. Believers should be pressing against the current of sin and trying to turn from the world. And listen, when you get born again, the Holy Spirit changes those appetites. Amen. He does. He changes those appetites. He takes them away from us. You know, my prayer is that when believers sit down in front of TV shows that they shouldn't be watching, that the Holy Spirit will convict them, that he'll help them, that he'll tell them to turn that off, get away from that. and Don't put that filth in their spirit, that he'll help them to walk in upright life. Okay, I'll stop meddling for a moment. Here's the third thing. Yes, Christians can sin, but, number three, our identity is found in Christ. Our identity is found in Christ. The thing that drives me the most crazy about the phrase, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I understand the sentiment and I've said it. The thing that bugs me about that statement is the fact that we are attaching our identity to something. Now, I'm going to say something, pull your shoes back, Don't let what I'm about to say offend you. I believe in the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. It has helped a lot of people get free from alcohol, right? We've got members of our church that that have gone through that program, and they're 25, 30 years sober. So I believe in it, although, you know, necessarily it's not Christ-based. A lot of times it's higher power-based, but people who believe in Jesus, you know, they put Jesus there. So I have mixed feelings about the program But let me tell you what I don't like about Alcoholics Anonymous or or Narcotics Anonymous or anything like that. You ready? Here's what I don't like about it. A person gets delivered. They've been off of alcohol for 25 years. It doesn't matter. The philosophy uh, philosophy of, of these anonymous programs 
say that when they come into a meeting and they sit down, a person has to say, hi, my name is Joe and I'm an alcoholic. Even if you've been 25 years delivered, even if you've been 30 years set free, every, every time you show up to a meeting, you have to confess over your life that you're an alcoholic. You know what that says? Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Can I ask you a question? What does an alcoholic do? Is there any such thing as an alcoholic who don't drink? No, because you take the alcohol away and there is no alcoholic. Are you walking with me? I believe life and death is in the power of the tongue. People can get stupid with it, but the principle is there. If you constantly are speaking over yourself, hi, I'm an alcoholic. Why? Alcoholic is the identity. It's the identity that you choose to hook up with. And you can replace the word alcoholic with victim. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. Always a victim. Victim, victim, victim. Or, or train it like this. Well, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No. You know what do sinners do? Believers aren't supposed to be doing that. Not habitually. Do you know that the church at Corinth was one of the goofiest bunches of people you ever met? And they were sinning. Sexual immorality, drunkenness, things of that nature. And you know how Paul opens the books of First and Second Corinthians to the saints at Corinth? To the saints. He called them saints. And they were acting like sinners. But these were saved people. Yeah, they were dancing on the edge of their salvation. Paul warned them, you're about to become a reprobate if you don't turn around and repent. But they were saved. But guess what? Our identity is found in Christ. Yes, I can sin, but I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm a child of God. I would rather say that about myself. I was a sinner, and I've been saved by grace. I like that a lot better. Now, that, that may you know, ruffle some religious feathers or whatever, but I believe semantics matter. I believe what we say matters. I believe how we phrase things absolutely matter. Our identity is found in Christ. So let's go a little bit further for a few moments, and let's look at this. Can we sin? Yes. Do we sin? Yes. No. Is that who we are? No. If we sin, you, you admit it, you confess it, you get over it, you get past it, you get forgiveness, you walk in grace. But guess what? Don't believe this lie that just because our spirit is holy, that what we do with our body doesn't matter. You know why? Paul deals with this at the church at Corinth. He says, don't you know that he who joins himself to a harlot is one spirit with her. And then he says, and he, then he flips that around and says that he that is joined to Christ is one spirit with him. So guess what? Guess what happens? When, and, I, and, and forgive me, there's adults in here, but, but what happens, the Bible says when a man and woman leave their husband and wife, they, they, they cleave together, become one flesh, right? That's the union of God's design. God designed it like that. But what did Paul say? Paul said, if you join yourself to a prostitute, he didn't say you're just one flesh. He, and, and you are one flesh. He said you're one spirit with them. So that must tell me that the spirit of the man and the flesh of a man aren't as separated as we think. Which, by the way, this body is going to be destroyed. But God's going to give you another body. Now, you know, when Jesus was resurrected, he looked the same. He had a glorified body. He could walk and pass through walls. But 
They could touch his hands and his feet. Thomas could put his finger in his nail-pierced hands. So, yeah, it's going to be a body that doesn't hurt, and it's going to be a body that doesn't have pain. Have you ever wondered how old you're going to be whenever you die? Like when you get to heaven, don't you wonder? I've often wondered, I'm sidetracking for a moment, but I've often wondered, you know, babies die and old folks die. I've wondered, is God going to fast forward the young folks and rewind the old folks? That's a valid question. I mean, you died 100, you're 50, you died an infant, you're 50. I mean, you know, make it up right there. I don't know. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I'm sure somebody wrote a book about it and tell us about it later, but we don't know. So, Interesting. How in the world did y'all drag me to that tonight? Whew. Now you see how your pastor's brain thinks. That's crazy. Our identity is found in Christ. And yes, God has called us to live holy lives. God's called us to walk upright and to be right. Here's the truth. Are you ready for this? The Bible teaches a, a dual thing here, theologically. The Bible does say that we have been made righteous. That's the spirit part of us. We have been made righteous. Our spirit is righteous. I mean, when we get saved, we are born of God. Our spirit is made back into the original image and likeness of God. But guess the Bible doesn't just teach that. The Bible doesn't just teach teach that we're made righteous. The Bible also teaches do righteousness. Does it not? Paul wrote a big, pretty long letter to the church at Corinth, and he said, Do not be deceived. He who practices unrighteousness will not enter the kingdom of God. And he says, Murderers, drunkenness, revilers, extortioners, and blasphemers. And he begins to write these things. He says, Do not be deceived. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible calls those what? The works of the. He was talking to believers. So. I believe tonight that when you go back home and you begin to study John's writings, you'll notice he emphasizes come in the flesh, in the flesh, in the flesh. Don't sin. Don't live in sin. He that practices sin is of the devil. I mean, that's strong terminology right there. Practices. That's the key. Practices. You know, to practice, to, to, to get good at something, you got to practice. How many of you were a professional sinner before you got saved? I mean, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Some of y'all practice real good, right? But aren't you thankful for grace? Now, it's an old cliche. I didn't come up with it. Thank God I'm not, you know, I'm not where I need to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. Because grace is helping me to grow in the nature of God. So, I'm working on my walk with God. I'm growing, and as the Holy Spirit illuminates things to me, I say, you know what? Okay, maybe I don't need to watch that. Maybe I don't need to say that. Maybe I don't need to go here. Maybe I don't need to go there. And the Holy Spirit will convict you of those things. But to answer the trivial question of tonight, and I'm closing with this, Christians can't sin. Yeah, they can. They, they shouldn't, but they can. But true believers are not going to live in a lifestyle of sin like they weren't saved in the first place. The Bible says that we don't, we don't do that. We're called to walk in holiness. Amen? Close your Bible. Stand up on your feet with me. Let me pray for you.